Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Twitch is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware, episode 108, recorded February 24th, 2011. Thunderbolt is go. This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com slash twitch. Welcome to Twitch, this week in computer hardware. We want your questions, people. Twitch at twit.tv is the email address. And if you want to get the real deal on the benchmarks of Doom, Ryan Shrout's your man. Ryan, are you there? I am there. I don't know. I haven't (laughs) brought Doom to any devices in a long time, actually. Uh, Knock on wood. But uh, so far, I've been I've been pretty kind to hardware. It's been fairly kind to me. So we just ran over my iPhone four while it was inside of a Pelican case on uh, Techzilla. And you still have your iPhone four? You'll have to watch Techzilla to find out. <laughs> <laughs> You're not weeping, and your wallet doesn't appear to be extra empty. So must have, I have must a have toddler. Been. Okay. my wallet yeah, is well, always empty. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Hey, uh, did you catch the shuttle launch today by chance? I saw the last thing I saw was a tweet from NASA that the range master said it was closed. And then I saw your 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 line in the in yeah. the rundown that said, did you see the shuttle launch? And I was like, it went off. It went off. Did it go? As I assume everything was OK. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. They they had like a hard cutoff time and they they apparently some a computer rebooted or shut down uh, in, an, in an opportune time. And they got the, all the systems back up and running with like 30-something seconds left uh, before wow. the hard cutoff time. And then they started the five-minute the five minute countdown and all that kind of deal. So that was the third-to-last shuttle launch. Oh, so it's Two- not – because I thought it was supposed to be the last shuttle launch. It's the last launch for that shuttle, but there are two more shuttles that are going to take their last voyage. Got it. That's yeah. kind of a scary thought. Like It is. It is not that this is a oh. science show, but I'm actually I'm, I'm considering going down to Florida to uh, on I think it's like June 24th or something like that to watch the last one take off just as kind of a I don't know vacation no, no. slash watch it watch have the last ever, one go. Have you ever have you ever been near uh, one no. of the rockets when they've taken off? It's it's the craziest thing. I was I was actually down. Um, not too far from Cape Canaveral, uh, completely by accident, we found out there was going to be a, a rocket launch. It was one of the smaller rockets. It yep. wasn't a shuttle. And we were probably five miles away. And, you know, the rocket, you don't, you know it's moving fast because you realize it's kind of looking fast as it's going up and starting to arc on the, the ballistic curve. But right. you could feel it once it got kind of a little bit above the horizon. The, you could see it rise, and then the noise finally hit, and you could feel it vibrating your chest. It's an incredible huh. experience. Um, I'll, it's very I'll visceral. probably have to get down there then. I, I would highly, highly recommend it. And we should point out, kind of the out of nowhere, Intel, Apple, Best Buds, um, <laughs> coming up with Thunderbolt. I don't remember Thunderbolt ever being used to describe light peak before, or is that just I wasn't paying close enough attention? It, it never was until today, or I guess technically a couple of days ago when the rumor started to leak. But no, mm-hmm. this is like a 
This is a rebranding of the technology that we knew as Lightpeak. What's better than a Firewire? A Thunderbolt. It's actually kind of a bizarre name for what amount. It means it's like four copper. It's you. It's copper PCI Express extensible outside the machine, which has me thinking: Are we finally going to have external GPUs I can latch onto my notebook? Um, yeah, or, or am yeah, I just one option dreaming? for it. I mean, it, it really is. So, so Thunderbolt combines a a PCI Express protocol connection with a DisplayPort protocol connection through a single cable um, wow. with bandwidth up to 10 gigabits per second. So now 10 gigabits per second is a lot for data transfer, uh, like storage and that kind of stuff. Not a lot when we start looking at uh, memory transfers on like an internal PCI Express bus. Nice. So I don't know if like... You know, you could have an external RAID controller and it's going to feel like it's inside your system because you're still going to be bottlenecked more than likely by your SSDs, your hard drives or something like that. Graphics cards, uh, lower end, probably when you start getting into the higher end stuff, it's questionable because let's see, 10 gigabits per second is only what? Two, two point something gigabytes per second. That, that, that should That would probably still be pretty good if it's like a externally enclosed graphics card. Um, or one point something gigabytes per second, but either way, it should be pretty interesting. Uh, it's 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 really weird. So it doesn't use a fiber optic cable anymore, which I think I think my theory is this is uh, Intel says Lightpeak was always a code name. I think uh, they would have had a hard time trying to tell people why it was called Lightpeak when it just runs over standard electrical copper wire. Uh, doesn't use fiber op- fiber optic cables in its initial implementations. Um, but it's it's a pretty simple idea when you look at it in like a diagram form. Uh, you've got a Thunderbolt controller, which is basically like an add-on card or an add-on chip for a notebook or a system. In this case, the very first systems to implement the technology are the new Apple MacBook Pros. Um, the controller is responsible for merging the PCI Express bus connection and the DisplayPort connection. Uh, merging them into one signal, sending it out through the cable, and then another Thunderbolt controller has to be on the other end. So uh, either you have a you know a monitor that supports it, or external storage that supports it, or an external graphics card perhaps that supports it that will have a Thunder Thunderbolt controller on that side that then separates the PCI Express data from the DisplayPort data, and then you know. Uh, passes on the data to the correct part, whether or not it needs to pass through to another device or if it needs to consume that data and actually utilize it. Are they actually, they're not replacing the DisplayPort on the MacBook Pro with the Light Peak, excuse me, the Thunderbolt port, are they? <laughs> they, they yeah, they, actually, they, they are technically replacing the mm-hmm. DisplayPort connection um, on the MacBook Pros with a Thunderbolt connection, but they can do that because it's backwards compatible with the DisplayPort connection. So if you have a DisplayPort monitor today, you'll still be able right. to plug that into your MacBook Pro and it will just work, right? That's, um, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of like, it, it, you know, and the, the point of moving to DisplayPort was what again, Apple? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not really sure why they did that. So the idea behind Intel wanting, you know, they wanted PCI Express uh, because that let it be completely extensible. You could put any kind of devices uh, at the other end of it, right? Um, right? It's a really cool idea to kind of make this really high-speed bus that's that's easily integratable into the processors and chipsets, that kind of stuff, external. Um, DisplayPort was to, you know, you can, 
you then have the capability of, of supporting displays, but those displays don't have to have uh, Thunderbolt chips on them. So um, Thunderbolt supports daisy chaining. So let's say, for example, you have an external NAS box that uh, you connect to your laptop. Um, you know, you connect to that with this DisplayPort looking cable that is actually a Thunderbolt cable. Uh, connect it to the other end goes to the NAS box. Now the NAS box will then have to have a female DisplayPort connection that you would then daisy chain on, say, a monitor. Right. Um, now the monitors, unless like current DisplayPort monitors, aren't going to have the ability to daisy chain off of them because you know they were developed before this idea even came across. So they mm-hmm. will have to be like the terminating point in that chain of devices but the idea is i think they said up to six six or seven devices can be daisy chained onto each other and if you know next year monitors come out that have support for um thunderbolt technology you know you might be able to string three or four displays off of you know daisy chaining them off of a single port off of your laptop or pc and that's kind of like the benefit there but why i mean I, i think they could have used kind of some new proprietary connection type. I think it would have maybe eased on the confusion uh, of mm-hmm. a lot of ways. But this way for Apple in particular, you know, they're, they are very particular about what kind of connections and ports they put on their machines. Uh, this way, you know, like if you have a mini, a mini display port to VGA adapter, it will still work with the existing or uh, with the new MacBook Pros, mini display port to DVI. All those adapters will still work. Existing monitors will still work. Uh, and then once these Thunderbolt, Thunderbolt that's right, yeah. Series <laughs> actually come out, you'll be able to use those as well. It's a pretty interesting technology um, with just you know these they, those few types of caveats. It's about you know twice as fast as USB three point um, right. so it's got it's got that going for it, I guess. But I just think it's it's kind of interesting. See, it, it's almost I, I'm curious what the royalty structure is or, or what it ends up costing a manufacturer versus USB 3.0 because I think it's very telling that you know Apple chose to go with Thunderbolt instead of USB 3.0 you know and they you know they're still including USB 2.0 ports on the on the machines I think they can't get away with dumping that yet but I just I think it's right. really I mean it's fascinating to me as somebody who watched USB come out on millions and millions and millions of PCs when there were literally almost no USB accessories around for probably a couple of years before um, the original iMac and then the, right. the, the, the candy, the gumdrop iMacs come out yeah. with a half dozen printers and, and, and keyboards. And all of a sudden, like six months, a year later, USB peripherals are everywhere and easy to find and cheap and amazing. You know, it's kind of funny to look at Intel is is partnering with Apple to set this trend for this standard. I think also there's probably it's going to be interesting to watch um, kind of people battling out in the forums with like, oh my God, Apple, you know, I can get you know, there's FireWire 800 on there, and and uh, you know, because there's this huge uh, commitment by a lot of high end Apple users to FireWire yep. peripherals, but it's just it's a really interesting move because Intel's using Apple to try to make. Um, Thunderbolt, this this de facto standard for high speed peripherals, and the the other rumors coming out that we'll know more about uh, we'll know more about uh, uh, next week is that the iPad two may actually have a Thunderbolt port on it. But I think it would definitely also have to have a USB mm. 2.0. It's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, you know, and it's a you know it's it's a fast notebook. 
Um, not a cheap right. dope book. <laughs> no, no. It, 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 it will be interesting to see how Intel, you know, they got asked several times during the press conference, um, you know, does this mean you're not supporting USB? And they kind of said, no, no, of course we're still going to support USB. They even right. kind of mentioned that they might integrate, that they still have plans to integrate USB 3.0 on their chipsets. Um, they already support USB 3.0 on their motherboards and that type of thing, even their own branded boards. Uh, but it, you know, there was there was a quote here that I took from the uh, uh, part here that the Intel says that they expect this to be a complementary technology to USB hmm. 3.0 and that the two will coexist on on platforms in areas where they overlap, like external storage devices. Thunderbolt and USB 3 will offer different quote price performance options for consumers. So it's kind of almost like they're saying Thunderbolt is going to be the more expensive option, but it's going to offer more flexibility of the daisy chaining, the single connector. The, the little bit right. smaller connector for maybe being able to integrate on things like a you know MacBook Air or an iPad and that type of deal. Um, I mean, it, it, it's cool technologically. I hate to see, you know, USB 3.0 is still completely underutilized today right. as it stands. Um, and I now well, that I, we're I think, I think taking Sandy this, Bridge this was going to be the. Oops, sorry. I was going to say, I think Sandy Bridge was going to be like the big push for USB 3.0. And all of a sudden, Sandy Bridge is like stopped in its tracks. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I, I just seemed like that was what was going to really break USB 3.0 loose. Um, that and, and SSD prices dropping. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's also it's it's interesting because you don't really see. Well, you're starting to see more USB 3.0 peripherals out there, but yeah, it's it's just a really interesting move between Apple and, and Intel on this one. It is. <laughs> OCZ Vertex Three, the consumer product, um, kind of less expensive than the professional product, but just as fast. I like this thought. <laughs> it, it is. It's not just kind of um, right. cheaper, less expensive. It's actually significantly cheaper. Uh, we talked about the pro version last week, I believe. Uh, the issue that we had with that is that um, it was significantly more expensive than other consumer SATA 3.0 gigabit per second devices available on the market. Um, I knew the Vertex 3, re, uh, like the consumer version, was coming soon. I didn't realize it was going to be, you know, less than a week away, um, <laughs> which I'm glad for because that means consumers who uh, are on a tighter budget are less likely to have spent money on those more expensive drives already. Uh, so what it comes down to is you're getting, you know, you're still getting the 500 plus megabyte per second reads, uh, very, very high speed writes, SATA 6G technology support, uh, a, a somewhat less, um, I don't know, technical version of the Sandforce controller doesn't have a lot of the uh, enterprise-based um, lifespan technologies in it, but still really, really <laughs> good for consumers. Um, what, what it's interesting here is that in the pro version, there was a 100, a 200, and a 400 gig model. Uh, because the consumer versions use less over-provisioning to make up for that whatever lifespan differences there are, they're going to sell 120 and 240 gig models of these uh and you can pick up a 240 gig model for 499 dollars which is just about two dollars per gig like two dollars and seven cents per gig now that's high for regular hard drives we we'll always have to say that but if you look at uh like existing vertex 2 drives also from occ using the same sandforce controller basically but slower speeds the sata 3g um, we're looking at 
240 gig model for 449. So about a $50 price difference, about 10 to 15 cents per gigabyte difference for this speed up. So it's actually, I'm somewhat uh, glad, impressed, however you want to say it, that these new faster drives released without a super high price premium on them compared to the competition. Uh, when the C300 first came out from Crucial, mm-hmm. that was the first SATA 6G SSD. Uh, it was priced well above everything else <laughs> in the market. And I think I think Sandforce, OCZ, all the companies that are going to release Sandforce-based SSDs realize that Intel's going to have competition soon. Uh, there are going to be a lot of SSDs that come out with Marvell controllers, mm-hmm. the updated Marvell controllers that support SATA 6G. Oh, this is all going to happen kind of in the same you know, two to three month time span here. And uh, you better come out of the gate swinging, I guess, as opposed to trying to get that extra $20, $30 profit at the expense of, you know, taking off some consumers. But Well, I mean, two quick questions on that. One, if I have, a, if I have an SSD now, am I going to, let's say I've got an X25M, uh, X, yeah. you know, just for example, <laughs> for, for no particular reason, you know, yeah. would I notice a... Hypothetically, you know, you, you may enjoy this hypothetical also. Am I going to notice, you know, if I upgrade to this, obviously I'm going to have a larger capacity, but am I, am I really going to notice any any physical performance changes? I mean, is, is my system going to go from, you know, booting in seven seconds to five seconds now? Or, or where are you really going to notice the changes on this? So uh, the, the, the noticeable differences you're going to see are, like like I was quoting 500 megabytes per second. That's only really useful in large sustained reads. Uh, when right. you're booting your computer, you're not doing single large sustained reads. You're doing a bunch of smaller reads. You know, you're reading drivers for your graphics card, drivers for your motherboard, chipset. All these types of smaller reads are coming in. Um, and those are mostly affected by the latency uh, it can be somewhat affected by IO, IOPS, uh, IOs per second, um, but all of these drives, you know, the, the Intel-based SATA 3G drives have really, really good IOPS performance. The Vertex 2s have really good IOPS performance. So I would say no, that you're not going to see a really dramatic performance uh, increase on your system, real-world usage, with moving from a 3G SSD to a 6G SSD. You know, if you're doing things like video encoding or video transcoding, you're moving data around a lot, you will see differences in that regard. Um, but for, you know, the only thing that kind of might, you might see differences is if you're loading up games that have, you know, sometimes you'll have, you know, one or two gigabyte pack files or something like that, uh, that, that store all the textures and that kind of thing that it's reading off into memory very quickly. You might see some performance improvements there. Um, but really what it comes down to is, I wouldn't upgrade an SSD if you have it today, but for any system that doesn't have one, you might as well get these newer, significantly faster in those sustained reads and writes versions. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you feel like, does it sound like, it just seems like the whole SSD market is kind of teetering on the edge of going fully commodity and full on old school Western digital versus, you know, Seagate you know, commodity level, how low can we drive the price? Or do you think there's enough memory being manufactured to do that right now? Or it is kind of a problem. Um, like the flash memory market does have some bottlenecks right. in it, especially if you look at, you know, when Apple starts buying stuff up for its iPods and all that kind of deal, they're a little bit different quality of flash memory there, but, but similar ideas. Um, I, I think we're fairly close to getting to, 
a commodity level. Um, when we start, once we get these different controllers, you know, Intel controllers, Marvell, Sandforce, uh, IndyLinks, th- those are the differentiators at this point. Um, will we get to a point where they don't really matter? I, I-, I think. For probably the next several years, we will still be able to see differences between them for specific use cases. We're still seeing instances where some Sandforce drives released with tweaked, slightly tweaked and slightly different firmware revisions than other uh-huh. drives. You know, like, well, there was an idea that OCZ had at one point that they didn't really follow through with, I guess, that they were going to release some drives that were targeted at uh, high performance, small writes, 4K, 4K reads, something like that, versus high performance you know, large sustained rights. And you can tweak the firmware quite a bit, even on the same controller, to affect those performances differently. Now, it really only kind of matters in that enterprise space um, as opposed to the general consumer and what our, our standard workloads are. So I think, we're, I think we're closer to that commoditization level with SSDs than I thought we would be by this time, but I still think we got a way to go. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of. It just seems like it's. Who knows? Maybe by the end of this year, it's it's going to be interesting to see if they can kind of make it a wash in terms of the price. I mean, because you know, even two terabyte yeah. drives are the prices are falling through the floor right now. Um, one of the things we were talking about on Techzilla last week, um, or I should say, on the 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 next episode that's coming up. Uh, Crazy announcement from HB. HB refreshes its business notebook lineup. Um, new design across the board. Nice sort of a cleaner gunmetal, more sophisticated it design. Looks nice. Yeah, it's in, there's like three different notebooks in the series, and they've got one configuration, the um, EliteBook 8460P, if, and this is a big if, if you get the <laughs> HP BB09 Ultra Extended Life Notebook Battery and choose the 160 gigabyte SSD and the LED uh, panel and the Intel graphics and download the, the latest drivers from Intel, um, they're talking about, 32 hours of battery life for this notebook. Uh, I haven't seen anybody who's gotten hands on numbers with it, um, but the adventure beat kind of picked this out of the, the analysis from HP, but it was also, and then we were talking about in the pre-show for anybody who's watching live might've heard us talking about this. You saw the new announcement for the Lenovo T420, yeah. uh, 15 hours with a standard nine cell battery, which is epic. I don't care what you're saying. Yeah. 15 hours, you know, and is that a, is that an I3 and I5 processor on that one? It's an i5, yeah. i5. That's that's a pretty impressive battery life. And if you want to get 30 hours of battery life out of that, um, you, you do have to use a T-series slice. And if you've never seen a slice battery, it's basically a piece of plastic the size of, of the footprint of the notebook that pops onto the bottom of the notebook. Um, in both cases, I think, I don't know if the T420 is a pound, but it's probably pretty close to it. Uh, the, the, the Elite Book, the, uh, the 8460P with 32 hours of battery life, you basically, it's a, you add a pound onto it by doing the ultra extended, super amazing extra life notebook battery. Right. Um, but think about that, dude. That's like three eight hour days of computing plus a couple hours, you know, browsing video or playing games. Okay, maybe not playing games on the Intel graphics, but that's incredible battery life for a notebook. It is. It is. Um, you know, it's like I saw the headline initially, and I was like, yeah, sure, haha. I wonder what the joke is. And I was doing the reading. I was like, okay, well, they're actually serious. Now, we always take battery life specifications like with an enormous grain of salt when we when we talk about them. But, you know, if they say 32 and we get 25 out of it, right. yeah, they should be chastised for kind of fibbing the numbers. But, but damn, getting, you know, that 24-hour battery life, 
out of a machine is going to be uh, pretty killer. Um, and when you start to look at the specifications, I know I, I heard on some of the other shows on the Twit Network, they were kind of going back and forth uh, with the new MacBook Pro releases today. Mm-hmm. You know, good hardware, um, but these machines are Sandy Bridge based. Uh, they have very similar hardware specifications, you know, minus Thunderbolt technology and that kind of stuff. Uh, similar, if not lower prices as well. And you're getting some of these crazy battery lifetimes. Um, you know, you have to sacrifice a little bit of portability, I'm sure, uh, that type right. of stuff. But, you know, Apple's claiming seven hours of battery life on theirs versus a claim of 32 hours of battery life or 30 hours of battery life. You know, it's, you know, if you're a business, uh, especially, I, I think this can make a lot of sense. I, it makes a lot of sense for me. Like I'm trying to figure out when these are available and <laughs> how much they're actually going to cost with those extended batteries and that type of stuff. Right. So it's pretty cool. Well, it's, I mean, I've, I've carried a, a two or three different types of, of external lithium ion batteries where, you know, you could literally add a couple hundred, you know, watt hours to it, but you were in some cases adding two pounds and this mm-hmm. basically had this big flat quarter inch thick uh, notebook size silicon battery that slid into your, uh, you know, your, your, your backpack bag. But right. I mean, if you think about it, right, compare like Hypermax is uh, hypershop.com Hypermax, the company um, who are doing external power supplies, basically boxes with batteries in them. Um, for, you know, those are targeted primarily at Macs, at MacBook Pros. But, you know, you're talking, you know, really interesting, really big batteries that are being integrated by the manufacturers rather than being a strange little thing you pick up a website nobody heard of. Not that I'm saying this about uh, HyperMac, but some of the other vendors have purchased extended life batteries. But 30, 30 hours of battery life without having to carry around a car battery with you, that's that's a good thing. Speaking of which, uh, Walt Mossberg, very enthusiastic about Motorola, especially the software interface. Yeah. Not so enthusiastic about it got your paws on one there was one our, our cto actually has one in the book seeing it out of the corner of my eye but not being able to leap on it before it goes by how did it feel did you like it um it's actually pretty nice um i, I left the ipad in the other room for 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 a size comparison but it's i mean it's it's kind of as everybody expects here i'll see if i can uh show a little bit i've been really impressed with the software thus far as well um the hardware is pretty cool uh, considering, so you can see my, you can see the camera that way. Nice little reflections, of course. Um, but there's all kinds of, of good things to like about this device so far. Not the price; the price is still pretty high. You know, seven ninety nine is what you have to pay uh, for this if you don't want uh, to go into a contract, of course. Um, but pretty, it's still pretty expensive, even with the contract. Six hundred bucks, like it's like two hundred dollars less expensive. With uh, right. with that, so I mean, there's there's um, the browser is is much better uh, so far. The the Gmail implementation I think is is quite a bit better. You know, you've got a lot really? more screen real estate uh, mm-hmm. on it. Uh, it. It doesn't have flash. That's kind of annoying, right? I mean, one of the big things of uh, the the whole Android operating system is like, look, we've got flash and you guys don't. I've been really impressed with the speed of of things, right? You know. All the Android phones, when you compare it, one of the things that the iPhone is always better at is kind of is the snappiness feel to things. Uh, this right. definitely has the snappiness to it. Um, so, oops, you can see this is the Gmail implementation as it is now. It's it's pretty cool. It's 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 definitely improved. There's a lot of cool apps, little widgets. 
um, here. You've got your movie studio app, so you can actually edit videos and all that type of stuff as well. It does look kind of funny when you're using it as a camera, uh, where you're like holding up a 10 inch screen to somebody, you know, like because the camera, the high end camera is still in the back here uh, right. with that little tiny LED flash. It doesn't do very much good. Uh, but you know, you're holding up to somebody and you're like, they're like, what are you doing? It's taking a picture. It looks like you're using a 10, a 10 inch, uh, point and shoot camera. Uh, the music app is, is way, way better, uh, than it has been in the past. I, I don't use my, uh, music app for the Android pretty much at all. This is actually right. pretty good. It's got a nice like cover flow type style too. It comes with a lot of music on it. Surprisingly, I guess they've got to demo this stuff somehow. Uh, the market improves as well although i've got to show you this um, that's basically honeycomb that we're looking at right now yes yeah this is honeycomb android 3.0 when you click on uh apps for tablet that's that's what you got there that's all of them hmm. uh looks so this looks like you got 12 of them you know but you've got angry birds so i guess you can't complain too much right <laughs> it's it's, it's a really obsession. nice piece of hardware yeah well mine too uh it's a really really nice piece of hardware uh, really, I've only had it for for a few hours or so. Uh, it, 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 I'll, I'll be curious to see if it replaces what what kind of uses I had for my iPad. So far, so good. I mean, it's a completely different type of user interface. It took a little while to figure out, you know, where the settings are, where all the apps are, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, so far, so good. We're, we'll hopefully have a review up of this within the next week or so, kind of comparing it to uh, the iPad and. and just, I guess, a general view of the operating system as well, because that's kind of the, the key here. Wow, it's really difficult <laughs> to show really shiny things on camera, isn't it? It, it gets distracting. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. wait, what's that? And you start clicking through menus. We should probably take also- a moment before we lose you completely to the glory that is the Zoom yeah. to thank one of our sponsors. Let's do that. Uh, that would be for today's episode, squarespace.com. Well, for your free trial, obviously, we're going to send you squarespace.com slash Twitch. <clears throat> Let's tell you a little bit about the service. Say you've got this technology you're really interested in. Maybe it's uh, Android tablets. You just got a Motorola Zoom. You pay a lot of money for it. You want to show your devotion to it. Start up a website. Start reporting about your experiences with it, what apps you like, what apps you don't like. You can do that easily, quickly, without hassle uh, with our friends at Squarespace. It has an easy-to-use interface for creating and managing a website or a blog. It's optimized for both beginners and CSS experts, so you can start with a lot of templates that look really, really good. And if you are, uh, you know, you want to get down to the nitty-gritty with CSS, you could do that, modify things to your to your heart's content. Uh, there are, like I said, hundreds of design templates to choose from, lots of places to start from, and then and then uh, extend beyond that. It's an all-inclusive service that includes your hosting. Um, it's got import-export modules, WordPress, Blogger, Movable Type. You can import to, uh, from those blogs. So if you already have an existing blog, you can import to Squarespace. Uh, you can also export out of it if you choose to do so, so they're not kind of uh, you know holding your data back. So that's always good. They have uh, forums. They have form builders if you want to collect information from your readers. They have a Flickr photo displays, really good for photographers or if you take a lot of pictures of fancy glary items like the Motorola Zoom. Twitter widgets, all kinds of stuff. Google Maps, a lot more. It has website tracking and built-in search engine optimizing, permission access handling if you and a couple of your friends actually want to uh, modify and, and work on the same blog or website together. It uses a cloud architecture for site stability, and that's what's important. 
you write a really good story, uh, it gets put on Dig, it gets put on Slashdot or Engadget. You don't want your site to come down because you're paying for a low-cost uh, hosting solution. Squarespace won't do that. Uh, they dynamically allocate resources based on traffic, so you don't have to worry about that happening with your blog at all. Uh, uses an innovative drag-and-drop Ajax interface. Again, easy design creation tools for website. You do not have to be an HTML or coding expert to get something up and running with here. Uh, you can use Squarespace for all of your website needs. Build it, host it, update it anytime for a free 14-day trial. Go to squarespace.com slash twitch. Sign up for a free account. No credit card is required. You don't have to, you're not tied down to anything. They're not going to automatically charge if you don't renew. Uh, but you get two weeks to try out the service. You know, put together your website, see how much you're going to like it before you sign up for the account. Uh, if you go to squarespace.com slash twitch, you let them know that you heard about them from us supporting our podcast, supporting them, and we thank them for their support of this week in computer hardware. How about some emails? Emails, voicemails, Twitter questions, something like that. <clears throat> uh, let's start with an email from Maxwell while we attempt to bring Patrick back to the world of I'm Skype. Here. <laughs> he is, he is, we're back. He says, hi, Twitch crew. I'm looking to build a full-on gaming PC sometime within the first half of 2011 with a GTX 560 Ti, and I'm wondering if I should buy a Phenom 2 X4 955 Black Edition or wait until the new AM3 Plus socket gets released. And I think we had an email from John that was basically the same type of question. Right. Um, there's, there's a lot of, you know, oh my goodness, the... Should I should I should I should I buy or should I wait? Kind of the classic question. Um, it always is. But the, I mean, how do you feel about the AM3 Plus socket? I mean, what's going on with that one? So the AM3 Plus socket is uh, the the next processor socket iteration from AMD that that will support the upcoming AMD bulldozer processors. Uh, those CPUs probably won't be out until the second half of the year, maybe the last quarter of 2011. They're a little bit away. Um, right. But these, those sockets will be backwards compatible with current existing CPUs. However, current motherboards that have AM3 sockets or AM2 Plus sockets will not support the future processor. So it's kind of Ooh. a little bit confusing. The next socket will support all of the previous ones, whereas the current one today actually will not support Bulldozer um, just due to some pin out changes and, and, and some bandwidth issues and that kind of thing. Um, so the issue with that is, as Maxwell is saying, uh, do you want to buy a system for an AMD platform today knowing that you won't be able to upgrade to bulldozer i would probably say no that right. i mean you still you still can especially if it's a low-cost rig and you're never going to keep it for a couple of years anyway uh, but if you're looking for something that's definitely future-proof probably what you'll want to do is wait maybe another month and a half to two months before the bulldozer cpu is released motherboards will be released with support for am3 for the am3 socket so i would say maybe in a month maybe two You'll be able to buy a motherboard today, buy a low-cost mm -hmm. AMD processor to go along with it, knowing you'll be able to, to support and upgrade to the bulldozer processor in the future. Whether or not, be, you know, whether or not you decide to do that in eight months or 18 months, you know, right. uh, just depending on your, 
budget and, and desire for a faster PC and that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> so that that's kind of where I would stand today. It's an unfortunate spot for AMD to be in, considering right. all the Sandy Bridge issues and that kind of deal too. So they have this massive opportunity, but if you buy today's motherboards, uh, you will not be able to upgrade to next year's processor. That's irritating. Yes. Bill, I actually say Christy, actually, the an email question close to my heart. <laughs> he says, I'm getting ready to give an old computer to my three-year-old daughter so she can play some toddler games. Before you scoff at how young she is and the appropriateness of her having a computer, she's got her own iPod, learned how to power on the entertainment center to play her favorite movies from a completely powered off state, and has started taking apart the electronic toy she's been given by her grandparents. That's nice. precocious. That's awesome, yeah. actually. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have a I have an iPad that Seamus has used. Uh, Seamus has uses that's that's in an OtterBox uh, Defender case. <laughs> He's not allowed to have 24-7 access to that because he would sit in his room and watch movies 24 hours a day. Um, but Christy says, being a toddler, she still gets a little rough on her things, even as careful as she tries to be. My question is about the keyboard. Is it better in this scenario to get a cheap keyboard and replace it as needed or get a more expensive, durable keyboard that will last longer? Um, you know, if you don't expect the child to pick the keyboard up above her head and start smashing it on tables, um, which I've seen full-grown adults do in my <laughs> offices over the years, yeah. I'd say I'd probably start her out with a cheap keyboard. I mean, you could go around. There's like you could get an Alps, you know, buckle spring switch keyboard. You know, I've got a, a, a file cabinet drawer full of them that I scrounged from garage sales and, and online, you know, so I would be able to use my classic IBM keyboard until I died. Um, they You can buy new versions of those online. There's several different sources for those. You know, I don't think your kid needs a four pound, you know, clicking keyboard that every time small creature hits the controls for the game, you're <laughs> going to hear the buckle spring reverberate throughout the entire house. Um, I say, you know, get an inexpensive Microsoft keyboard, Kensington keyboard, Logitech, uh, get a wired keyboard um, and just let her have fun. Um, you know, you might yeah. want to consider getting a wireless keyboard if you think she's going to walk away from the computer and drag the computer off the table. There's a safety issue there. So maybe I'll change that to get a, an inexpensive wireless keyboard. Um, but yeah, I say get the cheap keyboard, replace it as needed. And you might be yep. surprised that the small creature, because three is this amazing age where they're either super chill or, you know, the sort of tantrum from hell mode. And <laughs> I, I think the motor skills, I mean, it's it's really amazing how fast the motor skills ramp up between three, four and five. And hopefully uh, uh, she won't put you out of business with uh, uh, keyboard uh, destruction. <laughs> you know, my, my uh, I guess, thought on it is go with the cheap keyboard because... Um, no matter how high end the keyboard is, right. spilling fluid down in it will always mess it up. Oh, um, the, the sippy cup. I forgot yeah. the sippy cup. Although yeah. sippy, the sippy cups are actually pretty amazing, dude. I wish some of my college roommates had adopted the sippy nice. cup, especially for their nice. morning coffee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. We got an email from Bill here. He says, I have a Fujitsu P50, P5020D Pentium M 10.6 inch screen. Uh, or a laptop with a 10.6-inch screen, perfect for mobile, web, and email applications. However, <laughs> Windows XP, email, and browser apps load slowly. Would I see a big improvement with an SSD? The machine has a 40-gig IDE hard drive, and that's fine for the machine's limited use. So even a 32-gig SSD would be large enough. 
However, I do not see many op- options for IDE. Is an SSD going to provide the benefits uh, of an SSD to an older IDE environment? Can you recommend any good drive options around $100 or less? Will prices for such an IDE SSD go down or up? Thanks, invite. Thanks in advance. For your, uh, I don't think you're going to like the advice. Um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so IDE-based SSDs uh, are all old, like really yeah. old. And the, I guess I can't say really old because the hard drive that he's using is really old in comparison. Uh, for SSDs, <laughs> I, anything that's IDE or PATA is going to be really old. Um, and those were the original controllers uh, the original SSD controllers that were bad, like just just right. noticeably bad. Um, you know, we're talking like read and write rates of like thirty and forty megabytes per second. You know, like almost like having a USB thumb drive in. Um, I was kind of looking around, and I actually don't even really see any. If he's if he's using like a one point eight inch uh, pad drive, you can find some, but because they're so rare, they're also more expensive. Uh, than they should be, but like you look, I'm looking at Bluebag, <laughs> and most of these things are deactivated. Um, you might be able to find some on on eBay, although it's like, do you, how much money and how much effort and how much uh, just how much time do you want to invest in a machine that is pretty pretty old uh, for your standards? I think what you should probably do, you know, try try formatting. Um, you know those types of things to keep the system as fast as it as it can be. Uh, right. I don't think I would invest the money in a solid state drive for that machine. If it, here's the thing though, if that had SATA on it for some magical reason, if it used a SATA drive, <laughs> I would say absolutely get a 32 gig, you know, Vertex or Vertex two SSD, something that's somewhat modern but not you know super expensive, um, and you would see a noticeable pickup in performance from it just in terms of starting applications and stuff like that right. uh, because it's IDE. I don't think I can, I don't think I can recommend any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, you're basically talking about a, a, a one gigahertz penny MM, essentially an early yeah. netbook. And, you know, for the money you would spend acquiring an SSD to or an SSD to stuff into that thing, you could almost buy a, a newer <laughs> SSD and, and get a faster yeah. processor and better graphics. Um, yeah, that, that that you're right, man. The IDE channel is just a a tough one on that. So somebody somebody in the chat room just sent me a link to uh, a Newegg listings uh, page listings for uh, hard drives with a PAD interface. And for example, hmm. there's a 32 gig Transcend for. 32 gigs for $315 (laughs) as uh, read speeds of up to 70 megabytes per second and write speeds up to 60 megabytes per second. Um, And here's another one with up to (laughs) five megs read and up to eight megabytes per second write speed. Uh, These are not devices uh, that I would recommend. No, those aren't going to give you the blazing (laughs) data throughput increase you're looking for from an SSD. Sorry, Bill. Um, But... This will give you an excuse to save your pennies and buy a new netbook. Email from Robert. Hi, saw in a Texilla episode. Patrick making a rip master. That would be a rip monster to take advantage of <laughs> DB power amps ability to do eight simultaneous reads. I've got an ASRock H55M Pro motherboard I'm wanting to use, but it only has five SATA connections, two I need for hard disk drive connections, leaving three for optical drive connections. What would be the easiest way to add 
five more optical drive connections. The motherboard has one each flavors of PCI connection available, and I have a five-port RAID card laying around. Any way of getting it to recognize the optical drives? Um, mm. For me, what I ended up doing was uh, buying a PCI SATA adapter. Um, depending on your RAID card, it may or may not be able to operate as a simple uh, SATA adapter to go from PCI Express to SATA. Um, you know, it's for 25 bucks. I got an external USB 3.0, a couple of external USB 3.0 connections with three additional internal SATA connections. Um, mm. And I'm actually in the process of figuring out a way to hack an old computer case into an external case for this because it's kind of ridiculous to have you know six or seven optical drives inside a PC case. Plus, I've got friends who are like, "Can I borrow that?" And I'm like, "It's my main PC." So now I'm I'm figuring out a way to get all of those drives into an external case that my friends can plug into a USB 3.0 connection. Um, man. Just buy a SATA extension. You've got all these open PCI Express ports inside your system. Uh, go to Newegg, go to go to Tiger uh, and your local PC place, and, and get a PCI Express to SATA adapter. Keep it simple. Uh, you know, if if you're lucky, check with the manufacturer. There's a way to use the RAID card as a simple SATA drive uh, yeah. or SATA port uh, a device. Some do. Some some are a little squirrely about that. But uh, I say just get a simple SATA adapter because they cost like no money. Yeah, if if it's cheap option, go for it. I, I, I'm curious. I'm guessing that it it doesn't work. If he says he has a five port RAID card laying around, I assume that he has plugged it in and tried it, and it doesn't work. Right. If not, plug it in and try it. I guess <laughs> is the best option there. It seems perfect, right? You need five right. SATA ports. You've got a five port RAID card laying around. Give it a shot. Go through the go through the RAID card set. If it's like a hardware RAID card, go through the settings. See if you can set it to legacy or IDE mode or anything right. like that. Check uh, for a firmware or BIOS upgrade from the manufacturer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're looking at like, let's see, does it have like? There's a Rosewill on Newegg's got their house brand Rosewill. Um, okay, that's an eSATA connector. Sorry. Um, <laughs> like, oh, it's so cheap. It's like twenty bucks. But there, there are just so many options out there. It's basically just find an internal PCI Express to SATA card adapter. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that would be the fastest and easiest way to do it. Um, Bill has a good question about the Intel i3-530. He says he's going to build a home theater PC as his main computer. Yeah, he currently has an Intel i3-530, 2.9 gigahertz, my main computer, wants to upgrade to a new CPU. He wants to use the i3 as a home theater PC CPU. Would it work to play Blu-ray and capture over-the-air HD with a Hophog dual tuner card adapter, the WinTV HVR2250, and watch TV shows over the internet from network websites and play content from other computers via local network? I'm planning, using, uh, planning on using Windows 7 and Boxy software and the onboard graphics on the i3. Uh, I would say yes. As long as you don't um, want to I, do all of those at the same time. <laughs> right, right. Um, so the i3-530 is a uh, 2.9. I think it's a I think that's a, that's a quad-core non-hyper-threaded part, I believe. It could be a dual-core non-hyper-threaded part. I guess I need to look that up. Uh, but either way, actually, I don't think it's going to have a problem playing back Blu-ray. Uh, because it does have the Intel HD 2000 or 3000 graphics. So it'll be able to do that. Right. Um, he's looking at the Hapog 
dual tuner cards, uh, the 2250, um, I think that shouldn't be a poss- uh, shouldn't be a problem either. Make sure you have uh, a fast enough storage. You know, if you have like a two terabyte standard hard drive, that should be fast enough to keep up with all that speed uh, and then give you the capacity you need to, to, to record all the DVR settings that you're looking to do there. Watching TV shows over the internet, uh, we're talking Flash or H.264, something like that. This processor won't have problems with that. Uh, no, I, I think this system will be able to do everything you want it to. The only thing, um, I'm trying to think if, if maybe you might have an issue with, with high bitrate Flash. If uh, Flash, now if the new Flash 10.2 supports decode acceleration on the Intel Sandy Bridge graphics, um, all, all versions of it, HD 2000, HD 3000, so you shouldn't have a problem there. So I would, I would say yes, uh, that, that system should be able to do everything he's looking to do. Let's see. We have an email here from a Mr. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce this guy's name. Mr. John Slanina. I don't I don't know. I don't know who this guy is. He says, my boss is thinking about replacing the Mac Pro in the studio with one of the new MacBook Pros. The Mac Pro is hooked up to our sand by fiber channel. Thunderbolt's specs indicated it's plenty fast enough for fiber channel. When do you think third parties will have a Thunderbolt fiber channel interface for us? Our new studio is only months away. Love the show. I wouldn't <laughs> hold my breath for that one. Um, man, I, I don't want to say I, I don't want to say fiber channel is dead because it's not, especially in high end sort of server based computing. Um, yeah. I will say Thunderbolt as implemented in the MacBook Pro is going to be very heavy on video editing applications and you know, sort of home use. Um, I would be pleasantly surprised if anybody ever came out with a fiber channel adapter for Thunderbolt. Um, you know, that said, you know, I'm sure somebody's going to release an announcement tomorrow that they have, you know, <laughs> an array of, of yeah. high end adapters. Um, I just, I just wouldn't hold my breath on, on getting that. If, if, if your studio is being built in a couple months, I wouldn't hold my breath. If there's going to be a Thunderbolt <laughs> fiber channel interface in Definitely place by in that time. Months. Yeah, no. def- definitely not in a couple of months. I mean, <clears throat> even uh, the the two accessories <coughs> were like summer twenty eleven yeah. type time frame, and that's for like an external hard drive dock and that type of stuff. So, I, I kind of agree. I don't know if we'll ever see that because I think the way a- Apple kind of works this is they don't like to go back and support old <laughs> technology. That's just, that's just what they do. Uh, hence the 15 inch and, and MacBooks not having express card slots still. Um, right. That's, that's just the way it works. So uh, Mr. Slanina, I, I, I wish you the best of luck. I would continue <laughs> to keep those Mac pros for that purpose. Arno's got a question about overclocking Fusion. He says, since I bought an AMD Fusion E350 board from Asus, not delivered yet, I wonder if there are any information about overclocking the AMD Fusion. I know it's a very small package. Is it safe to overclock? Um, wow. I didn't uh, think you could actually overclock a Fusion. It, so I mean, or, 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 or to, really. to any meaningful degree. <laughs> yes, I think, I think that is spot on. Like, uh, you know, this actually, um, so this, this MSI 
Fusion motherboard that I have here. This is the right. uh, E350 AI E45. It has some tweaking options in there. Uh, most of them are related to... I say most of them. The one that I can think of is like related to overclocking the graphics core on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no real... I mean, th- the motherboard manufacturers could do that, but there's no real purpose in doing it, right? The, the amount of benefit right. you're going to get out of it is going to be somewhat minimal, uh, and especially considering the use cases for these platforms are low power, low noise, not high performance computing, you know, that type of thing, that the, that the need for overclocking is, is pretty minimal. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there are any particular applications that are maybe just on the verge of running right or running really well on a Fusion right. processor that you'd need an extra 200 megahertz out of them. Uh, but yeah, I've got I, four of these mini ITX Fusion motherboards in house right now, so we'll definitely be going through the BIOSes and making sure which options have or which motherboards have what options, if any. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny like the the Sapphire Pure Fusion Mini E three fifty mainboard. I think Overclockers Club did a review of that, and they're like there is no overclocking features in this one. Um, I think Gigabyte's supposed to offer overclocking. Um, for the the fusion Zocate, but man, I'm not really, you know, <laughs> you know, I I, yeah. I would think of that as, as something you would do for the sheer unbridled joy of of overclocking something, and not because there's going to be a huge upgrade. And keep an eye on the thermals on the CPU. You're not going to burn up the CPU, but just make sure it's not, you know. You're not creating a lot of heat yeah. and mayhem in there, especially if there's if you're thinking about using a passive cooler on that one. Indeed. Uh, let's see. Real quickly, we got an email from Juan about three monitor graphics cards. It says I bought the Sapphire video card HD fifty six seventy based on the budget system leaderboard at PC Perspective. Good place to look. It's an awesome <laughs> card, but I can only run two monitors. Am I missing anything? Can it run three displays? If not, can you recommend a similar card, similar price that could run three monitors? Yes, the answer is it can run three, but the trick is one of them has to be a display port, or you have to have an active mini display port or display port to DVI or display port to VGA adapter. Um, so it has to be specified as an active adapter. It can't be passive. Active it actually has logic in there that will convert the DisplayPort signal to something else. The passive ones uh, will only work if you only want to use two displays. So the answer is yes. All the HD 5000 series and 6000 series cards support three displays uh, as long as they have the outputs for them, of course. But one of them has to be DisplayPort. So hmm. there you go. Uh, you want to say we round up the show for this week then, Patrick? I think so because stuck. Yeah. It, there's just there's just. I, let's end on a high note because ending on a stuck CPU is just a painful thing to think about. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's actually kind of surprising. A, a whole bunch of news came out of nowhere this week. Anything coming up? Uh, Had you all tickled pink at PCPer.com? Uh, so we've got the Motorola Zoom. We talked about that. We've got Fusion motherboards. Probably my one of the most interesting Fusion products so far is uh, I don't know if you've seen these little Zotac home theater PCs. So this is a all-in-one unit. <clears throat> it has a Blu-ray drive, slot-loading Blu-ray drive in it. It's an AMD Fusion-powered system, USB 3.0 support, uh, HDMI, DVI, optical output, eSATA, gigabit, Ethernet. Um, comes with a hard drive and memory, just doesn't have an operating system. And I think this is going to be like $440, $450. Um, hmm. 
and it looks nice. It, it looks, I mean, it's still, it's still plastic. It's not real metal up here, but it looks like metal. That's kind of the key here. Uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to putting this in the home theater space at the house. And, you know, it's just kind of all ready to go without having to, you know, look for many ITX power supplies and all that other kind of stuff uh, to go along with it. So lots of good ideas like that. Oh, yeah. Also this, the OnLive micro console. Been playing with that for a really? while. How do you like it so far? Um, I don't think my opinion has changed much on the service because of it. Uh, it's a really cool little device. You know, you plug in network HDMI, turn on a controller, and it works, right? Um, but right. the latency is still an issue. Uh, image quality improves the further away from the TV you get. You know, you know. But if you're right. sitting 15 feet back from a 50 inch TV, it actually looks pretty good. Uh, but latency is still. Still the major issue I can't get around. I've tried it on two or three different net or ISP configurations in the area. So, Well, Man. what about Techzilla? I know you talked about uh, running over an iPhone. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yes, we are running over an iPhone in a Pelican case. We, actually, we had uh, uh, Kyle Banner from HardRCP.com gave his picks uh, in the last episode about power supplies, basically the best power supply deals out there, the ones you want to keep your system from dying. Um, and he's back on. We had, a, him, he, we had to cut this question he answered, basically talking about water cooling. Uh, if, if a viewer should water cool and why he might just want to buy a particular case instead, I'll give you a hint. Uh, a Raven would be one of the models from this company. And uh, coming up, <laughs> we actually uh, have Windows Service Pack 7. Robert Heron spent a bunch of quality time installing that and running it. And uh, a whole bunch of other mayhem coming up on this show that comes out Tuesday night at TechZilla.com. We are going to wrap cool. this one because uh, we actually may be getting snow here in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I keep hearing that debate. Is it going to happen at sea level? Is it going to happen? And I so say, I think, I think you guys deserve it. I think, I, think, I, I think we absolutely Absolutely deserve it because you know we only got like six inches of rain last week. I think it's the really depressing thing about living in the age of Twitter and Facebook and the twenty-four hour news cycle is the most pathetic things start dominating like yes. <laughs> people's these sort of self-reflexive conversations. So I've already gotten like three emails like, "Dude, are you guys snowed in yet?" And I'm like, "It's San Francisco." <laughs> Snowed in. Well, if you get a half an inch, you might actually be snowed in in San Francisco, but I don't know. I'm sure a half an inch in, in the, the Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge would be shut down because somebody would manage to, like, spin their car. You know what I mean? Yep. There would be, like, a 32-car yep. pileup. Yep. You know, we get a half inch of rain and, and half the highways around here are shut down because people panic <laughs> and roll their vehicles. Um, <laughs> on that bright and cheerful note, I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Ryan Trout. We'll see you next week on Twitch.